Hi, this is James Brown, soul brother number one, always fighting. Now I'm fighting for your life. I'm fighting for your life because if you use drugs, you better leave it alone. Drugs are contagious. They're killers. Every drug is a killer. Stay away from drugs. Drugs will take your life away. And if you want to live, stay away from drugs because they are super bad, super bad, super bad, super bad. back resuming our tale of adventures in portugal and spain literary adventures elsewhere like canary row or in the case of postcards from the edge carrie fisher's look at life in la la land regrettably i don't have the book with me i swapped it out with kevin in exchange for house of bush house of saud but um suffice it to say that it whetted my appetite to see the movie of the same name also to read some of her other works, which are just as well regarded as postcards from the edge, in some cases more so. In fact, I think I'm going to have to promise that I do uh, get a hold of that book uh, for future shows because she did have a couple of very amusing moments in it that I think are worth review. At any rate, we left the islands and moved on to Lisbon. I didn't rent a car there because I thought it would be a burden, and I think that was certainly a wise move. Rather than uh, drive or attempt to drive in a congested capital, we walked. We walked, I don't know, something like four or five miles from where the hotel was, down to the center of things in central Lisbon. I think the highlight of the town for me was the Lisbon Story Center, which is a, a new venue. Said my Michelin guide, the Lisboa Story Center offers a fun way to learn about the city's history in an hour. Dramatic recreations of Lisbon's most important historical events, such as the Great Earthquake of 1755, are presented in a playful and interactive manner, using a mixture of elaborate sets, multimedia, and sensory experiences. The myths and realities of this ancient city are also explored. I think that gets it pretty right. It's a, it's, it's a very cool exhibition that um, at one point takes you back to the Great earthquake of 1755. On All Saints Day, while everybody was in church, Lisbon got hit with uh, one of the largest earthquakes in European history, followed, unfortunately, by a tsunami. The Lisbon Story Center shows how the European nations rushed to Lisbon's aid by sending ships full of goods. Personally, I had some doubts about the generosity of some of Lisbon's rival cities, but uh, maybe they did. One of the more amusing moments of the entire trip came during the visit to the Story Center when they were showing how in a public square uh, in the wake of the tragedy and people believing that, well, God must be mad at us, we need to be more pious, they conducted some auto de fe's, which translates as acts of faith, but in reality represented singling out heretics and burning them at the stake. Yes, a real act of faith. 
Hearing about the auto de fe, the light went off in Kevin's head, and he said, oh, that's what they're referring to in Mel Brooks's History of the World Part 1. I had not seen that particular scene. I only seen excerpts from that movie, but he related some of the uh, lyrics, which was something along the lines of auto de fe. What's that? Auto de fe? It's what you oughtn't to do, but you do anyway. Brooks apparently also makes references to Torquemada, adding the line, we couldn't Torquemada anything. It's always fun to chat with people when you're traveling and in the large square that uh, goes by the name the Praça do Comercia. A ruddy-haired Irish gent at the next table was sitting by himself, so I started chatting with him about things, and we had quite a spirited talk about uh, Ireland, England, Portugal, and issues concerning the Brexit and whether England was going to leave because the Scots didn't want to leave and did the Scots want to stay into the EU and what would happen in Northern Ireland because if Ireland's in the EU and now Britain's not, that it's going to make more tensions there because the border will have to be tightened up. Sounds like a big mess. Speaking of big mess, it was a great pleasure, I would add, to have gone away from America for three weeks and not have to listen to the pronouncements of Donald J. Trump. In fact, it was only on my car radio this morning that I heard that voice for the first time in almost a month. Maybe you want to go back to Lisbon, frankly. And if you do, dear listener, elect to go to Lisbon, you no doubt will go to the Castle of Saint-Georges up on the hillside, which offers a splendid panorama of the city. We next moved on to Seville in Spain. It's a little south of the latitude of Lisbon, making it about, about the same as... San Luis Obispo, I would guess. The original intent was to visit Córdoba, Seville, and Granada, the three cities in southern Spain that were the the zenith of Islamic culture in both Spain and Europe. Córdoba and Seville at their height were um, the largest, most sophisticated cities in all of Europe, courtesy of the Muslims. As we've noted on Radio Parallax in the past, and we'll do so again right now, it was Islamic culture, not that of Christian Europe, that preserved a lot of the ancient writings of the Greeks and Romans, particularly the Greeks. Many of the manuscripts we have from ancient times exist only in the form of the Islamic translations of the original Greek. These cities were great centers of learning and education, and uh, among them astronomy. The Arabic population were uh, were very good astronomers, and some of the names they gave to the stars we still use to this day. Betelgeuse, among them, maybe the most famous, although apparently it should be pronounced Betelgeuse, or something along those lines. My Arabic is none too hot. But as it turned out, I decided that I was not going to go to Cordova after Seville. Seville pretty much um, gave me my fill of, of the blending of Moorish and Christian cultures. The saga of Columbus... Uh, resurfaced in Seville when the guidebook seemed to point out that Columbus made his pitch to Ferdinand and Isabella, which surprised me because in Spanish they're Felipe and Isabel. The case was made that Columbus made that pitch for the three ships uh, in Seville, but uh, this was called into question by the fact that uh, everything in Granada was Columbus this, Columbus that, and they talked about how Columbus had gone to the Alhambra, or it was implied he went to the Alhambra. I was, I was not clear on some of this, I must confess. But Ferdinand and Isabella, later referred to by the Pope as the Catholic monarchs because they were so avidly Catholic and so anti-Muslim, 
We're looking for something to celebrate in the year 1492. That marks the year in which the last Moorish slash Islamic slash Muslim stronghold in Spain fell. Ruling from the Alhambra, large fort in Granada, a deal was worked out to where the Muslims could retreat, take their armies with them, not face a bloodbath, and basically go to North Africa. The last Moorish king in Granada decided that was a good deal, would save a lot of lives, and, well, he skedaddled. Now, the Reconquista of the Iberian Peninsula took centuries. And unfortunately, there's it, it, the atmosphere surrounding this idea of, you know, killing the Moor, get him out of here, uh, is to this day just reverberating still. I mean, statues of Moors being trampled underfoot, you know, as they should be by the valiant Christian leadership, uh, well, it just pops up everywhere. One can imagine that back in 1492, you know, fresh with this, uh, this military triumph, the two Catholic monarchs who had united Spain, since I guess Ferdinand was from Aragon and Isabel was from Castile, maybe it's the other way around, I don't know. At any rate, the two kingdoms were joined, forming the basis for modern Spain, and they were looking to party shall we say, when Chris Columbus, uh, fresh from his rejection by King Joao in Portugal, showed up and made his pitch to sail west to India. He was sure he could do it if he just sailed a few thousand miles. Apparently, Queen Isabella gave him three ships, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, and Columbus was off. The story is that he died still thinking he'd found the way to India. By all accounts, he was... um, not a great geographer, and and not a good manager of people either. He was lionized after his first visit, claiming that he'd found the way to India, and was given a huge expedition for the second visit. And he actually made four trips to the New World, all in all. The last one was quite a shabby affair, I understand. And I'm not sure what point it was, whether the second or third voyage. I think it was after the third voyage that people on the island of Hispaniola, where he tried to form a colony, were so fed up with his managerial skills, or lack thereof, that he was sent back to Spain in chains. Spain was, shall we say, not the most benign of colonial rulers. I don't know if it can be argued that Portugal was, but I think it was a little better than Spain, and if to this day you travel between Brazil, the Portuguese uh, part of the New World, and and name it, any other country in South America, which was generally a a Spanish one, you'll note quite a marked difference in cultures. Recall that Portugal was trying to find its way to the Indies, and of course uh, Columbus claimed that he had found this, and in the confusion that surrounded uh, these competing claims, the Pope stepped in and divided the New World between Spain and Portugal. It turned out they were pretty off on their geography and weren't exactly sure where to draw the line, and I think uh, Portugal wound up claiming more than it was supposed to get, but oh well. Their discovery of Brazil was quite by accident, shades of Columbus. They were sailing west to try and pick up the favorable winds to go all the way around uh, Africa, which they knew was going to be no no mean feat. And uh, what do you know? They slammed into some new land, and you know that, that became Brazil. Anyway, Seville... It's a very cool city. It's uh, currently uh, very much in vogue among the international traveling uh, set. Uh, it is got the welcome mat out. There's lots of tourists. And uh, there's some things to see. The cathedral there is uh, quite a large Gothic affair and contains the bones of Columbus, or at least they claim they got the bones of Columbus. 
As I understand it, Columbus wanted to be buried in the New World, which he discovered, and so at some point his bones, or some of them, I guess, got shipped to Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. At some point during political turmoil, the bones got shipped to Havana, and then I guess shipped back to Santo Domingo, but then there's competing claims, and, you know, Seville says we got his bones, Santo Domingo says we have his bones, and I'm not sure who has Columbus's bones. I believe they tracked down some of the descendants of Christopher Columbus and did some tests on the bones that are in Seville and found some evidence that it it might be from the Columbus line, but, hey, I don't know. And I should look it up before I go on the mic here, but I'm just talking off the top of my head today. If you know anything about Columbus's bones, this might be a chance for me to ask you to chip in, dear listener, and drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. After three days in Seville and viewing the, the, the spectacular palace of the Alcazar, which is worth a look, I decided that uh, I was probably going to, between Seville and Granada, get you know all I needed about the history of you know the reconquest of Spain. So instead of going north to Cordoba and then southeast to Granada, instead we drove south to Gibraltar, reportedly on the only place on earth where you can see two seas and two continents. I don't know if that's true. But it is an interesting place to visit. It's only three miles long and about a mile wide. And, of course, it has the famous Rock of Gibraltar. It is very much British territory. It has its own currency, which is based on the British pound. They speak English there. And even though Spain is a little bit irked at this tiny little appendage of Great Britain hanging off the bottom of the country, they sort of realize that to take it might well involve a war with Great Britain, which they don't want to have. And I don't think Great Britain wants to have either. Anyway, the two sides have decided just to work out a compromise. The Spanish can go visit Gibraltar and buy cigarettes at a discount, and the people of Gibraltar can put uh, the Spanish to work, or, or in some cases the Moroccans to work, filling out their labor force. We only popped into Gibraltar for a few hours, and yes, you do have to drive across the airport, the only airport servicing the small territory of the Rock. And as you may have seen on uh, various uh, TV shows when they... Want to land a plane? They shut down the auto traffic and the plane comes in. Driving from Gibraltar to Granada, I was reminded of what a friend had to say about the overdevelopment of southern Spain, the Costa del Sol. Apparently Spain got the bright idea some years back. They could bring people from all over the world to come retire there and spend their money. So they built, and they built, and they built. And indeed, we did see evidence of quite a bit of that driving along that area. Uh, But unfortunately for Spain, somebody decided that the way they should tax all these people coming to live in Spain was to to assess them for their worldly possessions. In other words, all that they own throughout the world would be how you would decide how much tax you're going to pay. As you might well imagine, this didn't prove to be very popular uh, with people, especially the uber-wealthy. So they pretty much pulled up stakes and left, leaving what looks to be a rather large glut of... uh, construction in that area of the world. When we got to Granada, we discovered why it was the guidebook didn't explain how it was you can find your way to the central area, because it's impossible. Well, it isn't literally impossible because we managed to do it, but let's just say it it ain't easy. And although I was determined not to use GPS, in spite of my nephew's wishes to the contrary on occasion, uh, it's pointed out that the one-way streets of, of, of Granada do thwart even the, the best makers of GPS devices. What you wind up having to do is eventually just pull over and go in and ask somebody. Kevin observed many people doing exactly that, and that's exactly what we did. 
and you're not that we had to use the stop in a hotel method twice. I got a little worried when upon entering the second hotel, because I knew we were within a few blocks of where we needed to be. The woman kind of looked at me, rolled her eyes with a kind of like, you know, you can't get there from here kind of expression. But she suggested going down the street, seeing a pharmacy, hanging a right, and then basically just pulling in. I tried to follow these instructions, saw the pharmacy, turned up this very narrow street, which did, I think, allow cars, and then see this, then at which point I spotted the sign of the hotel. I think that the direction of the hotel was actually a pedestrian alley, not a proper driving street. But at that point, it's kind of kill or be killed. So I wedged the car into this alley, went up to the hotel, walked in and said, I have a car outside here in front of the doorway and we need to get things settled in. And she's like, oh, right out here? Yes, I replied. She says, oh, I will get a colleague to move the car if you can unload it. I said, you bet. And uh, we never saw that car again until it was time to leave. And when it was time to leave, this colleague that had brought the car for us after breakfast took a look at me, and I said, and I said, now i got to go left to head the way to the highway, right? He looks at me, shakes his head, and says, who's driving? I said, I am. He said, get in the back. So Kevin took the passenger seat. I got in the back, and he drove us out of the central area of Granada. And it's a good thing he did, because we'd have never figured it out. He drove us about a good mile. I reached in my pocket, found five euros, and gladly handed it over to him. He seemed happy. We previously employed the hire the local help method in uh, Seville. In this case, a kind of a parking hustler dude was in the tourist area of Seville. Uh, again, thwarted by one-way streets and complications. We just knew we were close to the hotel, but couldn't quite figure out the last step. This guy directed me to a parking place as I pulled in, and I intended to get out of the car and find my way on foot to the hotel and work things out. But the dude working the street kind of looked at me like, you don't want to do that. He goes, it's, it's a ways to walk, and you don't know where you're going. And I'm like, well, that's true. He says, let me in. So I popped open the back door. He climbed in the car and said, no, I'll tell you where to go. He did, and it worked. He went in the hotel with me. I tried to figure out what the proper tip was by asking the girl behind the counter, and, and, what, and what should I be giving this gentleman for his assistance? She didn't quite catch my drift and didn't answer. But anyway, we went out to the car, and he said, and my propinqua, at which, I, at which point I handed him a five euro, and he looked happy as a clam. And in truth, you know, six bucks isn't a bad, a bad wage for five minutes worth of work. And I got to say, I was grateful for my ability to speak the Spanish language, which is not profound, but boy, every little bit helps. I was making some headway with the Portuguese language, uh, but unfortunately committed a rookie mistake and left my, uh, my book on the airplane landing in Lisbon. I was so irked that I texted a friend of mine back here in Sacramento, would you please order one of these books up on Amazon because I don't want to do it on the web right now. So I, evidently I have two copies now waiting for me here in Sacramento. And I'm promising myself that next time I'm in a Portuguese-speaking country, I will be better. And finally, to close out this trip, and I'm going to skip talking about House of Bush, House of Saud as, the, as part of the reading material section. That, that will deserve a more lengthy discussion in future programs. So in the five minutes left, I guess I'll talk about New York. And doggone it, I, I just can't resist the notion of playing a, a great tune by Buck Owens about the Big Apple. 
It ain't nothing but a concrete jungle With people packed like sardines Where everybody's trying To live beyond their means Where all the natives hurry And scurry to and fro And like fleas on a puppy dog They got no place to go I wouldn't live in New York City If they gave me the whole dang town Talk about a bummer It's the biggest one around Sodom and Gomorrah Was tamed to what I found I wouldn't live in New York City If they gave me the whole dang town yeah, when I sent a clip of that to Stephen some years ago, he, uh, he he got quite a chuckle out of it and distributed it to a lot of his uh, hipster New York friends, who also I think got a laugh out of it. I I I do joke with them on occasion that yeah, I I wouldn't live in New York City if you give me the whole dang town. Because the truth of the matter is, I I really couldn't live in New York City, but I I have to admit, having seen the great strides New York has made. Um, I first visited back in the 70s, it was it was a bit of a dump. It has come a long way. It has benefited, I think, quite a bit from the reset that took place in the wake of 9-11 when the entire nation chipped in to help New York. And I think New York, to some degree, has reciprocated and become a more user-friendly place, so it seems to me. There's just no denying that the place has an energy to it, uh, a vibrancy to it. And there's also no denying the fact that it, the food there is, or tends to be at any rate, superb. I sort of get the idea that the competition is such to where if you're opening a deli or you have a, even a store that's selling packaged food and it's just not first rate, you're going to go out of business pretty quickly. Kevin and I flew in, rather bleary-eyed, after having gotten up in Granada and having the car turned over to us, uh, uh, leading to a four-and-a-half-hour drive up to Madrid followed by a six-hour flight to New York. Well, we, we were a bit trashed, that's all. Um, by the time we got to the hotel around 8.30 New York time, we uh, just didn't have quite the energy to go join the festivities that were taking place ramping up for the wedding. I was kind of sorry about that. I was looking forward to hanging out with a lot of folks, but we just, just didn't have the energy. But before turning in, we walked a block down to a store that had you know, packaged food like you'd find anyplace else, you know, things like sushi and sandwiches. Except that it's New York, and uh, the stuff you buy there, well, it just turns out to be shockingly good. Of course, I might be remiss in talking about good food if I did not mention um, a steak I had on saint George, which was to die for, as well as uh, um, a little tapas place we stumbled upon in Seville. Looked down at the menu and asked, what is bui? The menu listed an hamburguesa, a hamburger made from bui, B-U-E-Y, and the waiter looked at me and said, ox. And of course, a hamburger made of ground ox was just something I, I couldn't pass on. And it's a good thing I didn't, because I think by the time we were done, Kevin and I ate about four of those things. 
But uh, as far as New York goes, uh, the wedding took place um, in Brooklyn. Stephen and Connor live uh, in an area of Brooklyn that has a, sp- a spectacular view of the Manhattan skyline. And I have to confess, I, I think I will be unable to resist uh, traveling east to visit those guys in the years to come because, well, having an inn in the city is is nice. New York may be more user-friendly than it used to be and nicer than it used to be, but it's still um, the big leagues. And even though this correspondent was determined to avoid GPS, in spite of the fact that it did make life a little more difficult in Europe, I completely caved on the issue of rides in New York and did delve into my Lyft app application. And I have to say it worked uh, astonishingly well. The rides were on time. The drivers were very cool. In fact, we had a whole mixed bag of the entire United Nations, I think, having been driven around by a guy from Turkey, a guy from Senegal, and a woman from Colombia who gave me a really hot tip on a very cool tourist attraction, which I don't have time to go into. The wedding ceremony had quite a contingent of former KDVSers, including uh, ex-GM Teresa Kinney. As mentioned at the top of the hour, I think a good time was had by all. It was quite a moving ceremony. And the participants did appear to be strikingly content and happy with life. They have embarked upon a honeymoon to Italy, and as we speak at this moment, I believe are currently cavorting in Venice. And frankly, I wish I was cavorting in Venice. At any rate, I hope you enjoyed this uh, meandering tale. Next week's show will be more of our usual fare, I think. At any rate, I think my voice has run its limit, and we're out of time anyway. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I am your froggy-voiced host, Douglas Everett, who is also a sales from Terceda and a Suarez from San Jorge. And as we close, I would like some feedback, if possible, from the other Portuguese-Americans be you Azorian or otherwise, I, I know that uh, includes quite a few of you. We'll see you next week at the same time. Well, I ain't seen the sunshine since the day that I arrived. Cause, brother, I've been busy. I try to survive. Nobody knows you've been here Till you're six feet underground Then you become a statistic If they remember to write you down I wouldn't live in New York City If they gave me the whole dang town Talk about a bummer It's the biggest one around Sodom and Gomorrah Has tamed what I've found I wouldn't live in New York City If they gave me the whole dang town